the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. For the sake of a nation to be really spiritually healthy, the real test is, does it have sustainability? Is it enduring? Are the changes that it made uh, a continual progression of change in the right direction? Or was it a one-time thing and then done? And this is an important thing to understand in terms of not just the health of the nation spiritually, but also this applies to a lot of areas. The health of a marriage. The health of a marriage is not defined in terms of a single event. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Nehemiah. As Pastor Gary continues his teaching series through the book of Nehemiah, he'll be challenging us to remain steadfast in our walk with the Lord. When God convicts us and speaks to our hearts regarding a change that needs to be made in our lives, we need to make sure that change endures. The Jewish people began implementing principles that they knew were pleasing to the Lord, but unfortunately, they didn't always remain steadfast in them. The only way to see if someone has truly transformed is the test of time. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Nehemiah chapter 11 for part one of today's message titled, The Test of Time. But while all this was going on, Nehemiah writes, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. So pause there for a moment. Let me explain what's going on here. When you look at the timeline of events in the book of Nehemiah, what we learn is that in chapter 2, Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem. He leaves his nice job as cupbearer to the king of Persia, and he travels to Jerusalem. As a Jew, he has a vested interest in what's going on in Jerusalem. He goes there to oversee the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem and to serve as governor. Chapter 2 tells us that he arrives in the 20th year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, the guy that he serves. The 20th year of Artaxerxes' reign, he arrives in Jerusalem. But now here in chapter 13, it tells us that in the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes' reign, Nehemiah goes back to his job in Persia, which tells us that he had been in Jerusalem for 12 years. From the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes' reign, Nehemiah serves as governor of Jerusalem. He oversees the rebuilding project, 12 years. 
Then he goes back to Persia. And now it tells us here in chapter 13, verse 6, sometime later, I asked permission to go back to Jerusalem. Now, sometime later is a little vague, but what most Bible scholars believe is that 10 years had passed. So he leaves Jerusalem, goes back to his job in Persia, spends 10 years there, and then asks permission for a revisit to go back to Jerusalem to check on the progress of things. And he wants to make sure that things are still healthy. Now, friends, listen, the, the sign of a healthy nation, spiritually speaking, and for that matter, the sign of a healthy individually, an individual, spiritually speaking, is not measured in terms of a single event, but it is measured in terms of time. How does it withstand the test of time? For the sake of a nation to be really spiritually healthy, the real test is, does it have sustainability? Is it enduring? Are the changes that it made a continual progression of change in the right direction? Or was it a one-time thing and then done? And this is an important thing to understand in terms of not just the health of the nation spiritually, but also this applies to a lot of areas. The health of a marriage. The health of a marriage is not defined in terms of a single event. The health of a marriage is not defined in terms of your wedding day. The health of a marriage is defined in terms of have you withstood the test of time. The health of a business is not defined in terms of the day the ribbon was cut. The health of a business is defined in has it withstood the test of time. The health of your career is not defined by the day that you sign a contract. It is defined by have you withstood the test of time. The health of a church is not defined by the day that it was launched, but whether or not it has withstood the test of time. So 10 years have passed, and Nehemiah is going to go back here to Jerusalem. And when he returns, he finds that time has, well, it's, it's not shown itself well, let's say. They have, they have become neglectful of several areas in their lives as individuals and as their lives as a nation. And so Nehemiah is going to correct this. He's going to come back blazing with both barrels. In fact... Uh, in chapter 13, we're going to read here in a minute that he's so upset about some of the things that these people have neglected during the 10 years that he was gone. When he comes back, chapter 13 says he starts to beat up some of the men. He beats them up. I like this guy. I just, I just do. Nehemiah is not just born again. He is Jason born again. Do you know what I'm saying to you? He comes in Jason Bourne style, and he just starts decking people. Now, the question becomes, why? Why is he so jacked that he starts beating people up? We're going to answer that and some other questions as we look at the conclusion of the book of Nehemiah today in a teaching I've entitled, The Test of Time. The Test of Time. And this also brings to a close our months-long series through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, two books that deal with the rebuilding of Jerusalem, Two important books having to do with our own timeline as a church. Here we are in our own building project. And these books have been very beneficial to us as we've looked at some of the principles and things they've done right, some of the things they haven't done right, learned from it all, and hopefully apply this to our own church as well. So let's pray, and then we'll dive in here to chapter 13. In 1999, a massive project was undertaken by 
the Outer Banks of North Carolina in an effort to save the historic lighthouse at Cape Hatteras, where it was built in 1869 and out of necessity needed to be relocated. So the Army Corps of Engineers determined how they could actually move this lighthouse, which happens to be the tallest lighthouse in the United States, from one location to 2,900 feet further inland. The project was expensive. It happened to be the the building was the eighth heaviest building ever relocated, 4,830 tons. And uh, the reason was because what threatened this historic lighthouse at Cape Hatteras was beach erosion. Here's a picture of, of, uh, of, the, of the lighthouse. When it was first built in 1869, it was safely a half mile inland from the coast of the Atlantic. But over time, the beach had eroded and the seawaters have encroached now such that it threatens to destroy the lighthouse because it was only 15 feet away from the edge of the ocean. 1869, it was a half a mile away. Now, only 15 feet. So, in 1999, uh, they spent $12 million to relocate it 2,900 feet further inland where it has now been positioned today. And it is now on safer ground, so they say, at least for the next 100 years, and then they'll, they'll need to make another decision. So, what threatened the lighthouse was time. Time had eroded the beach and threatened the destruction of this historic building. So they had to relocate it inward uh, to a more safer location. You know, time has a really funny way of eroding things in our own lives, if we're not careful. Time has a way of eroding the romance of a marriage. It has a funny way of eroding the enthusiasm at your job. Remember when you started that job you always wanted and like the first day you're sitting at your desk thinking, I cannot believe they're paying me to do this. And in about a month later, you're thinking, when can I retire? Right? <laughs> because time has a way of eroding certain things. Time has a way of eroding the values of our country. Time has a way of eroding the convictions individually that we might have. Time has a way of eroding, if we're not careful, the principles of our church. Time erodes things. Enough time passes, enough things go neglected or overlooked, enough people turn and look the other direction and don't want to deal with it, and suddenly those things that you once thought were so valuable, so important, have now eroded into nothing. What once stood a half a mile safely away from the sea is now in danger of falling into it. And this is exactly what is happening here in the book of Nehemiah chapter 13. Time has eroded some things. Nehemiah has been gone for 10 years, and when he comes back, he finds that things are not as he left them. When he left them, things were in relatively good condition. When Nehemiah left Jerusalem after serving there for 12 years, the temple had been rebuilt, the city walls had been rebuilt, the people are living in relative safety and security... 
The people even took a vow before he left that they would obey the word of God and do what God says. You don't need to turn back to it, but I'll read it from chapter 10, verse 29. It says that they bound themselves with an oath and promised, quote, to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. That's what they promised on oath with penalty of a curse. Nehemiah leaves, goes off to Persia, back to his job. But 10 years later, when he comes back, he finds that time has eroded these values and these vows and these convictions. And in chapter 13, we see that time has taken a toll on four particular things, four things that the Jewish people have neglected. So for you note takers, we're going to look at these four things through chapter 13. We're going to learn from it. Here's the first thing that they neglected. They neglected the temple. Look at verse 4. We're just going to be look, making our way through chapter 13. Here at verse 4, it says, Before this, Eliashib the priest had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah, and he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles, and also the tithes of grain, new wine and oil prescribed for the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later... Okay, about 10 years later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. Your attention again. We have two main people in this story that Nehemiah is upset about. Eliashib, he's the priest. He's the high priest at this time. He is responsible for the well... Uh, uh, being and maintenance and care and ministry of the temple of God. Eliashib is one guy. Tobiah is another guy in this story. Now, is this the same Tobiah in chapter 6? It is. That guy who's the sidekick of Sanballat. Sanballat and Tobiah were the trash talkers. They were opposed to Nehemiah. They tried to intimidate him. They didn't like the Jewish people or the God of the Jewish people or the rebuilding of Jerusalem. That's the same Tobiah. And what has Eliashib the priest done? He's allowed Tobiah to rent a room in the house of God. The guy who's opposed to the, to the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and opposed to the whole rebuilding project has now taken up residence within one of the storerooms of the house of God. Now, the temple of the Lord had side storerooms. And in those storerooms were kept the tithes and the offerings that the people brought. They were the tithes of the produce, so the grain and the, and the wine and the oil. And they were also the treasury, the, the financial contributions that were brought. And apparently Eliashib just decided that Tobiah wants to rent a room. So he's going to clear out some of the stuff that were in there and allow Tobiah to, to be in there. Not only is Tobiah an enemy of the Lord and the people of Israel, but he is also, the Bible says, an Ammonite. In Deuteronomy 23, God prohibited Ammonites from ever coming into the temple of the Lord because, Deuteronomy 23 says, that when the Israelites were making their way from slavery in Egypt to the promised land, they met the Ammonites along the way, and the Ammonites refused to give them bread and water. So God said in Deuteronomy 23, never shall, shall an Ammonite go into the house of the Lord because of that. And apparently now, over 10 years, some principles have eroded. 
and Elijah and uh, Eliashib decides, I'm just going to run it out to Tobiah. No big deal. It is a big deal. And Nehemiah comes back and he's ticked off. Can't believe that you, that you have made allowance for Tobiah to be staying in the house of the Lord. So here's what he does. Look at verse 8. I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. All right, just evicts him. He just chucks all this stuff out of the room. Verse 9, I gave orders to purify the rooms. Okay, so Nehemiah is a, a germaphobe. It's okay, people. It's in the Bible. Let's be one. <laughs> I gave orders to purify the rooms, and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. So he throws all of Tobiah's stuff out. I love this. It reminds me of the mom who says to you when you were a kid, your room is a mess. You have clothes all over the place. If you don't clean this up, then I'm going to take all your clothes. I'm going to throw them out the window. When you come home from school, you're going to find all your stuff out on the front lawn. How many, how many of your moms said that? Yeah. All right. So I see like three other hands. So we'll support ourselves later with a little support group. But anyway, it did teach me a lesson. But this is what he's doing. He's just like chucking all this stuff out. He's like, we're, we're, we're cleaning out the house of God. Listen, folks. Uh, the building itself is never to be worshipped or idolized. All right, we're building a new building. It's a beautiful building, but we're, we're not going to worship the building. All right, we worship the God of the building. But the God of the building cares about what goes on in his building. And we need to care what goes on in the house of the Lord. If you don't think that's true, you need to remember the Gospels. Because not once but twice, when you put it together, all the Gospels tell us at the beginning of Jesus' ministry... And also at the end of his ministry, he drove out the money changers from the house of God because they had turned the house of God, which was supposed to be a house of prayer, into a den of thieves. They made it into a flea market. And Jesus comes through on one of the occasions. It says he braids a whip. This is not Sunday school Jesus, friends. All right. This is not meek and mild Jesus. This is Jesus who's ticked off righteous indignation, drives out the money changers. Why? Because God cares about what goes on in his house. So we're not to idolize the building, but we are to understand that we need to take care of the building and we need to worship the God of the building and we need to be concerned about what transpires in God's building. All right? And, and so as a church, by the way, this is something we have to deal with in practical ways. Uh, we get asked from time to time by different groups within the community if they can use our facilities. And uh, on different occasions, we oblige. We're happy to do that. We want to reach out to our community. We want to be welcoming and open. You know, we just recently, uh, for the second time, we, we allowed the, the fire and rescue to hold their graduation ceremony here. Okay? We love doing that kind of thing. But I guarantee you, we get into our new building, we're going to get even more requests. Because our new building will have the largest auditorium in Loudoun County. We're going to get some more requests. And our attorney has already warned us. If you start saying yes to some groups and no to other groups, the groups you say no to are going to potentially sue you. So are you aware of this kind of thing? And the reason is because we would say no to some groups because either that group is not compatible with or what they espouse is not compatible with the things of the Lord that we would feel comfortable allowing them, therefore, to use the building for. So we, we have to be uh, considerate of those kinds of things. And I don't want us to have to deal with frivolous lawsuits. There might come a day when we have to say no to all the groups just so that we can make sure we honor the sanctity and sacredness of the house of God. Because what goes on in the house of God is important to the God of the house. Amen? Amen. 
And so we have that responsibility too. Nehemiah comes in, he says, I cannot believe that you've just allowed to buy an enemy of the Lord who doesn't even worship the same God to come in here and have a room in the house of the Lord. So he cleans house, Nehemiah does, he cleans house. Second thing that we see here that they've neglected over time is the tithe. Look at verse 10. In verse 10, Nehemiah says, I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites, talking about the tithes, had not been given to them, and that all the Levites and singers responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? And then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. Okay, your attention for a moment. So people were to bring their tithes and offerings into the house of the Lord. Now, tithe is just a word that means tenth. They were to bring a tenth into the house of the Lord. And by the way, I don't think that that, in terms of principle, has been done away with. I think still as a principle, that is a good thing to operate by. Because everything that we have is the Lord's. It's 100% His. But the, the concept behind the tithe is you honor me with a tenth so that you always remember that it all belongs to me and that you realize your dependency upon me as your provider. Okay, friends, listen, the spirit of the law is still intact on this. The letter of the law is not. You are not obligated to give a tenth, all right? Feel free to give 15 or 20% if you'd like, praise God. <laughs> now, why do we chuckle about that? We chuckle about that because whenever we hear, okay, we're not under law anymore, where does our, our mind instinctively go? How can we do less than that? That's where our mind instinctively goes. Why? Because our flesh always wants the easy way out. Okay? We're not under the mandate, under the letter of the law, but we're still under the principle of that law. The stewardship, the principle that it all belongs to God, and we give a tenth to honor Him, is still a good principle to operate by. And by the way, it's not an Old Testament thing. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 23, He rebuked the religious leaders and Pharisees of His, of his day. He said, you hypocrites. He said, you tithe a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, and your cumin. But you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And then Jesus says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Okay? Jesus endorses the principle of tithing, just never at the expense of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. That's more important. So, when the people were to bring their tithes to the house of the Lord, it was in part still is, in part, for the support of those who ministered there. Nehemiah comes in, he says, why aren't the Levites here ministering in the house of the Lord? Why aren't the singers here ministering in the house of the Lord? He said, why have they gone back to their fields? They've gone back to their fields to harvest their fields to make a living because the people were not bringing in the tithes to the house of the Lord. And so therefore, Nehemiah rebukes them as well. It says, you need to get this in gear, and you need to honor God with the tithes. So look at the solution. Verse 12. So all Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine, and oil into the storerooms. I put Shelemiah, the priest. Notice he's put in place a new priest now, out with Eliashib. He didn't do his job well. I put Shelemiah, the priest, Zadok, the scribe, and a Levite named Padiah, in charge of the storerooms, and made Hanan, son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah, their assistant, because these men were considered trustworthy. They were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their brothers. And then he adds, Remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. So they had allowed time to erode their 
priorities here in regards to the temple. Number two, the tithe. Number three, the Sabbath. Look at verse 15. In those days I saw men in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore I warned them against selling food on that day. That's all we have time for today on Cornerstone Connection. We're so glad you've taken the time out of your day to join us for a period of learning and encouragement for your life. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we'd encourage you to share it with someone you feel could use a little blessing as well. You can find and share this and many additional messages online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also subscribe to our podcast or take us with you on the go with our mobile app. Pastor Gary has also created companion resources that go along with some of the studies he's done. These are available on our website as well. Again, that address is cornerstoneconnection.cc. We at Cornerstone Connection believe that life is done better in community. Are you part of a local body of believers? For those of you in the Leesburg, Virginia area, we'd like to invite you to join us in person at Cornerstone Chapel. Come to our weekend services and find a warm group of people who would love to be your community. Weekend services are held Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. And we have a midweek gathering on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you'll come back next time as Pastor Gary continues through the book of Nehemiah on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.